For her 54th birthday, Shirley Digert went skydiving. At 13,000 feet, Shirley and her instructor, Dave Hartsock, leapt from the plane. Strapped together for a tandem dive, the free fall was picture perfect. But when Dave pulled the ripcord, everything went wrong. Their first parachute only opened part way. Then their reserve chute got tangled up with the first one. Shirley remembers thinking, so this is how I will die. But then, only a hundred feet from the ground, Dave was able to change his position so that he would land first, breaking Shirley's fall. Now, miraculously, Dave didn't die, but the accident left him paralyzed. Later in an interview, he said, people keep telling me that what I did was heroic, but in my opinion, it was the only thing to do. Dave's bravery saved Shirley's life, but it cost him dearly. It's the example set for us by Jesus, who scripture describes as familiar with our sufferings. He rescued us in our time of deepest need, even though the cost for our healing was his own suffering and death on the cross. Obviously, the price we pay when we struggle alongside others usually isn't so dire. Most often, our sacrifice is financial or emotional, or we may lose some measure of comfort and convenience. Nevertheless, the willingness to do the right thing for others, despite what we may lose, is our challenge. It's also our calling that a spirit of love and compassion would mark our lives and our interactions with those around us. I wish I could credit uh, the source for that. It was shared with me, actually, by my son, who said, Hey, Dad, you might be able to use this in a sermon sometime, about two, three weeks ago. And as I was preparing for today's message, as we continue our series titled Supernatural, I thought, that's a great example of the supernatural love that we are called to give to each other and the supernatural love that we see in the person of Christ towards us. As we move on in this series, we're focusing on the activity of the Holy Spirit, on the role of the Holy Spirit, on the characteristics and attributes of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we got things off, started off last week with a message titled, A Supernatural Gift, looking at the Holy Spirit as this gift that comes to us, that Jesus promised would come to us following his death and resurrection. And if you missed that message last week, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. Go to our website, linwoodchurch.org. Click on the media tab. It's there. If you have iTunes, you can subscribe in the iTunes podcast. But that was sort of a foundational message that we'll point back to uh, from time to time. We also talked about the difference between form and substance last week and how religion Without the Holy Spirit, this idea of Christianity without the Holy Spirit ends up being all form and no substance. That the Holy Spirit is the substance that comes into the various things that we do, the various spiritual disciplines, the various uh, times that we gather for worship or that we spend in discipleship or in fellowship together or in service to others. If there is no spirit in dwelling in us, those can become all form and no substance. Now, the bottom line last week was that spirit-filled believers are how Jesus reveals himself to this world. And so we're plan A, these spirit-filled believers. If you read the book of Acts, it's all about spirit-filled believers going into the world, following the Great Commission to go, and as you go, to baptize and to preach and to share the love of Christ. It's all through spirit-filled believers moving into this world 
and revealing Christ to the world. So today we're going to be focusing on the topic or the idea of supernatural love and how it is the Holy Spirit within us that takes our love from the natural to the supernatural. From natural to supernatural. We'll be moving beyond natural human love that we can kind of do on our own to a supernatural love that is contingent upon or reliant upon the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan says in his book, Letters to the Church, it's natural to be close with your family and unnatural to experience this same closeness with people who are not like you. But that's exactly the point. It's not supposed to be natural. It's supernatural. The love that we are called to have for each other and for the world outside the family of God is to be a supernatural love. So while it's natural for parents to love their children and it's natural for husbands to love their wives and wives to love their husbands and it's natural for friends and soldiers to have a deep love for each other and camaraderie together and vice versa, we're going beyond that with this idea of supernatural love. We're going beyond the forms to the supernatural substance that we are called to have in our lives. So we'll start in John 13. I referenced this passage last week as we talked about Jesus' great commandment, his, his new commandment in John 13. You can turn to that on page 1675 if you have one of those hardcover Bibles in the, in the seats in front of you, or you can turn to John 13 in the Bible that you brought with you either way. But here Jesus is in the last, he just had the last supper, he's just washed the disciples' feet, he's just given them a perfect example of what he is going to, uh, to usher in with this new command. And he says in verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And in so doing, he, he issues a new command. He doesn't do away with all the old commands necessarily, but they, they are no longer our means of acceptance with God. We are accepted unconditionally through faith in Jesus Christ. His death on the cross has paid the penalty for our sins. And now we have one command to follow that flows out of that reality that we are loved and accepted by God on, on the basis of our faith in Jesus Christ, and that is that we love one another. Now, love is one of these words that gets thrown around all the time in all kinds of crazy ways. Some people love stuffed crust pizza. Some people love their car. Some people love their house or they love living in a certain place. Some people go to a movie and they just loved it. They absolutely love the movie. And teenagers, you know, they love this person and then, you know, a few weeks later they hate that person and now their new BFF is this person or, or they're in, you know, dating relationships that are fickle and they move back and forth and love gets thrown around a lot. In fact, there's even four different words used in the New Testament of the Bible that, that are translated as love. So it's not surprising that we get some confusion around this. So I wanted to take just a minute to walk through those. If you want to go deeper with this, C.S. Lewis has written a phenomenal little book called The Four Loves. 
And he goes in depth in each one of these and really spends time fleshing out the love that God has for us and calls to be a part of us. And so I want to run through that with you. There are four words uh, in the Greek language in the New Testament that get translated as the word love in our modern English translations. The first is eros, and this is erotic or romantic love. It is a a word in the Greek language that gets translated as love, um, but has a very specific meaning or definition in erotic or romantic love. Then there is storge, which is a familial love. This is the love between members of a family. And so the love that parents have for their children or that brothers have for their sisters, or, you know, maybe that takes a while to develop, right? Um, I see some brothers and sisters looking at each other. Um, or that you have for your uncle, even though he's a little off, or, you know, that you, whatever the case may be. Um, there is a familial love. There's a love that is shared between members of a family that honors one another, that um, holds high regard for one another, and that is storge, familial love. Then there is phileo. Phileo is often referred to as friendship love. Or brotherly love, if you've heard of Philadelphia referred to as the city of brotherly love, uh, that's translating this word phileo in that sense. Uh, it's important to understand that, that this phileo, this brotherly love, is the friendship love that takes place like the love that a brother would have for a brother, but between people who are not actually related, who are not actually brothers. An Old Testament example of this would be David and Jonathan. They're, they're said to have loved each other like brothers, that they had a deep, deep love for one another that went way beyond uh, a, fam- a family love or, or uh, it, it was a love that they would have for one another. And we see this uh, taking place often in the military or in first responders or in, in other close-knit groups that serve alongside each other or work alongside each other. And maybe there's danger, maybe there's a, a, a deeper reliance upon one another in order to survive or in order to, to live. And then finally, there's agape love. Agape love is the sacrificial divine love that we receive from God through the person of Jesus Christ. The the God loving the world so much that he gave, he sacrificed his only begotten son who came and lived a perfect sinless life on our behalf to pay the penalty for our sins and to welcome us into the family of God. This is Agape love. Now, spoiler alert, uh, the love that Jesus tells us to have in John 13, 34, and 35 is agape love. It is that self-sacrificing surrender. And as you look at that list of love, I was writing this out, and I I noticed that the level of self-sacrifice actually increases as you move down the list. That there's not always a lot of self-sacrifice in eros and there's a little more compulsion involved in storge as you move down. Then phileo is much more voluntary. It's, it's a voluntary love that will sacrifice. And you'll see in the military or in the first responders or in other places where there's a deep, deep love and camaraderie, you'll see people laying down their lives for each other, right? And then you get to agape. Agape is the essence. It is the substance of this sacrificial divine love that God has for us. It is the supernatural love. And I also noticed that the personal benefit 
decreases as you move down that list, which I find interesting. That, that true agape love, there's, there's no personal benefit. I say we're not throwing boomerangs when we're loving sacrificially. We're not loving so that we'll receive love. As you even see in phileo, when you see a, a band of brothers going into war together and pledging to have each other's backs and to leave no soldier behind, there's a benefit from being in that kind of a social system. But agape love, self-sacrificial love, is not throwing boomerangs. It's not doing anything that is is going to come back and benefit me. True agape love, God did not benefit from, from sending Christ to die on our behalf. We did. We were the beneficiaries. And so this is the type of love that we're talking about uh, when we talk about supernatural love. Jesus even clarified this in Luke 6. You don't necessarily need to turn there, but just uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect payment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. That's the love that Christ is calling us to be. That's the supernatural love. And it's really, really hard. In fact, I would venture to say it's impossible to consistently live that life of love, of supernatural love, without the Holy Spirit living in us and living through us. And Jesus possessed that type of love. Jesus demonstrated that type of love with his entire life. From, from the beginning, uh, when we first see him in the pages of Scripture, all the way through to the very end, giving himself up for us on the cross, he referenced and he became an example of and demonstrated this supernatural agape love for us. And it's really important that we keep that in mind because this command that he gave us, go back to verse 34, this command that he gave us to love one another, he doesn't just kind of leave that out there. He clarifies and ties it right back to himself. He says, as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. He sets the bar pretty high, doesn't he? He's not saying, well, go around and when it's convenient occasionally do something nice for somebody else. Do a random act of kindness. Okay, he's not talking about that when he gives this command to love one another. And this is challenging, and this is convicting, and this drives home the need that we have for the Spirit to be at work in us and to bring about this patient, humble, sacrificial, supernatural love in our lives. And I think John, uh, I think John later in life, as he was writing the letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, I think he'd had some time to reflect on this and to make some connections, and he shares those with us. And I want to I spend the rest of our time uh, looking at 1st John 4, uh, verses 7. I think the slide says 7 through 12. We're actually going to go through 18. It was a misprint on there, and I realized, no, I didn't want to stop at 12. I wanted to keep going. And so uh, if you want to turn there, it's page 1902. In those, uh, in those Bibles, way at the back, almost to the very end. Uh, and here's what John would say to us if we had a guest preacher and the Apostle John came and spoke. He might address us this way on this subject. He might say, dear friends, dear friends at Linwood Wesleyan Church, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. He's, he's further clarifying, he's further defining the agape love that we are called to have. Further defining the agape love that he has for us. That first and foremost, it comes in his self-sacrificing love to send Christ to die on our behalf. Dear friends, because God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's a natural response that we are recipients of the divine love, that the divine love takes up residence in us and begins to work through us. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You see that? That that God's love is actually made complete when it takes up residence in us and begins to work itself out into this lost and dying world around us. This is a mind-blowing idea, really, if you stop and consider the words, that God's love would be made complete in us and through us as the Holy Spirit takes up residence and begins to compel us and to teach us and to remind us all these things that we talked about last week to live lives of sacrificial love towards those around us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. There it is. There's the the source of that supernatural love in our lives, that he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God. God has for us as we know, as we rely, as we put our faith and our hope and our trust in the love of God that is the salvation of our souls, then we can trust that love to flow through us to the world around us, that God will work all things together for good, that we don't have to be afraid of living lives of sacrificial love because there's a part of us that says, but what if it costs too much? What if, what if, what if? And he addresses that as well because he says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him through the Holy Spirit. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So he's basically saying we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of loving. We don't have to be afraid of sacrificing because perfect love drives out that fear. The perfect love of God, the self-sacrificing love of God drives out that fear and says it's going to be okay because love has to do with God working in us and working through us. It's not something for us to do on our own. It's not something for us to try to manufacture emotion. He doesn't tell us to like people. Have you ever noticed that? The Bible doesn't command you to like people that you don't like, but it does command you to love them, to put yourself aside, to humbly set your own personal will and needs, your own ego aside, and love them. I remember the first time I was going to preach uh, to a large group. I had preached to a couple of really small groups in a church plant that was getting started, and it was meeting in a middle school gym or something like that, and there were about 25 or 30 people there, unless it snowed, and then there were 15. And, uh, and it was the first time that I was about to preach uh, to a large group, and there were going to be about 
250 people in the evening service on Saturday night and probably four to 500 on each of the Sunday morning services. And I was pretty scared because, you know, one or two sets of eyes or 15 or 20 sets of eyes looking back at you is one thing, but two or 300 or four or 500 sets of eyes looking back at you, that's a lot. And I was terrified. And I remember my pastor smiling at me and said, just go love the people. Just go love them. This is not about you. And his perfect love will cast out fear. If you go there to love them and to set yourself aside and to be humble and to be a servant and love the people, then his perfect love will cast out fear because it's not about you. It's not about what they think about you. It's not about if one or two of them dozes off. It's not about any of that. It's about God working in you and working through you. Go love the people. And anytime I've ever gotten nervous to do ministry, I have reminded myself of that verse and said a little prayer. God, let your perfect love cast out my fear and may your love flow through me to the people today. You know, last week we talked about the Trinity and and several people commented on the image that was shown. I wanted to show it again because it, it helps us to see the relationships of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How they are all God they are all uniquely representation, unique representations of God so that God the Father is not identical to the Holy Spirit or the Son and vice versa, but they are all God. And this image shows and represents a community of divine love that we see in the Trinity. The Trinity that is there in Genesis chapter 1 where we're told that the Spirit of the Lord was moving over the waters, and God was creating all of these things and sending forth uh, the world into being, that the Spirit of God was there, was present. And other places in Scripture tells us that all things were created in the Son and through the Son and for the Son. In Colossians chapter 1, we see this relationship that, that all three are eternal. One did not create the others. One is not preeminent. They are all God, and yet they are all distinct, and they represent this community of divine love. And what John is telling us here in 1 John chapter 4 when he says that in verse 13, we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He's saying the spirit of God comes and takes residence in us. It brings the Trinity, that community of divine love into us, into you and you and you and you and you and me. And it brings us into the Trinity. It brings us into that community of divine love as well because the Spirit is in us and the Spirit brings us up and the Spirit brings God into us that God might flow through us, that that the world might be changed as we walk out those doors and live lives of sacrificial, humble, patient love in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love this image that we see that if we love one another, God will abide in us and his love will be made perfect in us. That his love will go into that world as we live lives of sacrificial love to the world outside, as we live lives of sacrificial love for each other, as we care for each other. Then we see his love made perfect. The circle gets completed and his love reaches into the world in ways in which we become the bearers of the love of God because he is living in us and living through us. And so Pastor Zach talked about this idea of being a family of families and seeing these tangible representations of that, and we celebrated that as well we should. But 
it's interesting as we think about this and as we approach Scripture, and often this is the case, we say, well, it's speaking about these things as if they are now, but it's also speaking of them as, as a future fulfillment. And some authors have talked about the now and not yet of Scripture, the now and not yet of the kingdom of God, the now and not yet of these realities of God, that it is a present reality here and now. The kingdom of God has been ushered in through Christ and his love reigns, and yet there is a fulfillment of that that will take place when he returns, when the new heaven and the new earth are created, and there is no more weeping. There are no more tears. He wipes away the tears from everyone's eyes. So there is a now and a not yet. There is a now of God's love being alive in us and working through us, but there's also a not yet. There is a perfection that will come. There is a completion that will come in the future. And that is why when we were, when we were discerning and praying and seeking what God would give as a vision for this church, for this, for this congregation, for Linwood Wesleyan Church to move into the future, we, we knew it had to encompass this idea of being a family of families, that that's such a part of who we are. It's bedrock to who we are. And we put language on that that maybe you've noticed before. To be and increasingly become a family of families. To be and increasingly become a healthy family of families. To be and increasingly become a loving and caring and humble and missional and sacrificial family of families. That, that we are now a family of families, but we are not completed that there are others who are out there that will become a family of our families, that the families within this congregation would become healthier, that they would become more humble, more missional, more service-oriented, that they would become more loving, and that as all of those things happen, as each individual family becomes healthier and stronger and more devoted to Christ, then our family of families would become healthier and stronger and more devoted to Christ. Do you see how there's a now and a not yet? Do you see how that's all rooted in this idea of God's love being made complete in us and through us? as the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives and begins to work itself out in us and through us. It is present and it is future. It is, as Paul says in Corinthians, now we see dimly, then we shall see fully. We're just getting a dim picture of the the glory that is to be revealed in the last day. And it, it happens. It takes in a step forward. It advances each time we set ourselves aside and we allow God's sacrificial supernatural love to work in us and to work through us through the power of his spirit. In fact, that's how our mission gets accomplished. Our mission to reach people for Christ, to give them a place to belong, and to help them grow in their faith. Some would say that's the mission of every church. And it ought to be, to reach people for Christ, to give them a place to belong and to help them grow in their faith. That's our mission. And here's the bottom line today. Supernatural love is how we accomplish our mission. It's how we achieve our vision. It's how we do what God has called us to do, is his supernatural love working within us. And it's all tied back to the supernatural gift of his Holy Spirit, that his Holy Spirit, at the moment that we turn our life and our will over to him and we make him Lord, not just Savior, Lord. We say from now on you're calling the shots and his Holy Spirit starts to take up residence in us and starts to reformat the hard drive, so to speak. And we become more loving and we become more gracious and we become more humble and we become more patient and we become more joyful. And you move right on down the list of the fruit of the Spirit that you find in Galatians 5. What's first on the list? Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You know to the degree that which those are seen immediately in your life. Just as you can tell an apple tree because it's got apples on it, we ought to be able to see the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of believers because the Holy Spirit is in them and working through them. His supernatural love is how we accomplish our mission. It's how we realize our vision. We see the vision become a reality. It's how we become the perfect place for imperfect people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. That that they come in and they receive that love and they find a place where they belong and they find a place where they can grow in their faith. And here's why this matters so, so much. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, you can. Or you can just sit back and listen. You've probably heard verses 4 through 8 at a wedding recently. If you've been to a wedding recently, almost every wedding I do has 1 Corinthians 4 through 8. But don't miss the first three verses here. Because this is, this is really underscoring the importance of love. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, to a, a wealthy, well-to-do church that was growing and had spiritual gifts, but he says in verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Hold on, did you catch that? He's talking about speaking in the tongues of men and of angels. That's a pretty powerful representation of a spiritual gift. He says, but if I can do that, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. I'm just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, that's a tall order, right? But have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, that's a pretty big deal. Any takers on that? Anybody want to give all they have to the poor and surrender your body to the flames? These aren't small things. If I do that and have not love, I gain nothing. And then he describes in perhaps the most concise and complete definition or description of love. And that's why it's so powerful and so beautiful. And that's why we read it at our weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I remember one time uh, writing, and I've seen this other places, so I don't credit it as original thought, but that you ought to be able to replace your name with love in each one of those because we're told God is love and God moves into our hearts and takes up residence in our lives. And so I really ought to be able to say Mark is patient. Mark is kind. Mark does not envy. Mark does not boast. They're not laughing. That's good. I wondered if my kids would be, oh yeah, I'm going to remind dad of that one. Remember one Sunday when you preached that Mark is patient, Mark is kind, Mark does not envy, Mark does not boast. Mark is not proud. Mark is not rude or self-seeking. Is not easily angered. Try writing that out and see how far you can get. And then don't beat yourself up. Just invite the Holy Spirit to take over and to make those statements true of you. 
So that when we go out into our neighborhoods and we go out into our workplaces and we go out into Walmarts and various places that we interact with people, that love would go through us and that the people around us would say, yeah, he's patient, he's kind, he doesn't envy, doesn't boast, never fails, never fails. That's the supernatural love that we are called to. That is how we accomplish our mission and realize our vision see, there are a lot of people out there that need supernatural love. There are a lot of people out there that need someone to reach them for Christ. There are a lot of people out there that need a place to belong. And if they don't find it here or in some fellowship of faith, who knows where they will find it. There are a lot of people out there that need a safe place to grow in their faith. And that's our mission. And that's our vision. Because there's a lot of people out there that need a family of families. They need a place where they belong. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this reminder of the love to which we are called. We thank you for leading the way, for loving us so much that you would give yourself that you would come and take our place, take the penalty and the punishment that we deserved, that we might come into the family of God, that we might be welcomed into the family of God, welcomed into that community of divine love, that your spirit would take up residence in us and begin to work through us. God, I pray that we would not resist the work of your spirit that we would not resist what you want to do in us and what you want to do through us. Help us. Help us individually. Help us corporately. Help us in groups and help us as a congregation to be marked by this kind of love. This supernatural love. And it occurs to me, Lord, that there may be one that, that has understood this, this good news, this this gospel, this gift that's available to them, this, this grace that's available to them, and maybe they've understood it for the first time today. And they want to respond to that supernatural love. They want to confess that they are a sinner in need of grace. They want to make you Lord of their life. If that's the case, Lord, I pray that your spirit in this moment make that happen, that there would be freedom. Nothing would hold us back from responding in faith to what we have seen and heard in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray.